I mean, like on a global international scale, it's already happening that we need to think about ourselves as part of the environment instead of the controllers of the environment because we've kind of wrecked a lot of stuff. The thing is the earth, if in theory we left it alone, like entirely, the earth renews itself naturally. I feel like if we had less agendas about what it should be like, we'd be able to listen more and learn more and the earth would just tell us. We should listen to nature and let it do the thing instead of us trying to tell it what to do and But as like a general thing, we lost that connection to nature. Can't really listen to it without having that connection to begin with. Hi, I'm Onion. I am a uh, multi-racial American individual. And the last time I spent time in nature, there was kind of some farmlands um, with walking trails behind them near where I live. So I just took my bike and rode through them. And I saw this really cool dead snake, but it had a bunch of maggots in it. And that was kind of gross. I'm Lonnie. I'm Asian American. And the last time I was really outside. So yesterday, we also stood outside, like my whole family. And then this family that lives diagonal to us stood outside in their yard talking because COVID. I'm Hugh. I am a Black woman. And, and the last time I was outdoors was actually with Lonnie. We were on a lake and we saw lots of fish and it was really cool. Um, it was really relaxing. Lonnie hated it, but I absolutely... I did not hate it. You were like, oh! I was just creeped out by the fish. Why were they jumping so much? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really relaxing. Um, I need to go by lakes more. <laughs> And in this episode, I am so excited to introduce one of our good friends. Her name, not real name, is Teddy. And she is a very outdoorsy, gardening, everything that has to do with nature type of person. She literally studies nature. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Hi, I'm... uh... No! No! You're not! Sorry! (laughs) Well, anyways, anyways, hi, I'm I'm Teddy, and I am uh, black or whatever. The last time that I was outside was this morning, and I was trying to get some aphids off my zinnias uh, that are eating them alive, and I hope that they are alive right now. So the El Camino de Santiago is a pilgrimage in Spain that I don't know how many people go every year, but people from literally all over the world go to this and there's many different routes. And we actually went together for this pilgrimage a couple of years ago. Yeah. And so um, this was our first trip abroad together as friends. We carried everything we needed on a backpack and lived in. Oh yeah. We walked an average of 15 miles a day, which is about 20 to 25 kilometers. It was not easy because the terrain always changed. We'd walk through neighborhoods. We'd walk through like literally like a ma- up a mountain, which was crazy. Um, we met pe- and we also like got to meet people from different walks of life there too. Everyone has a different purpose for taking the Camino. Like the Camino was, it's, it's, a, it's like a, I mean, it was I don't a know. Journey. I had a spiritual <laughs> It was, yeah. I'm trying to find the journal that I use, but apparently it's not here. What? You still have that? Yeah, yes. I, yeah. Oh, I wrote down who cried and on what days and for what reasons. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Seriously? 
Um, That's fantastic. But I would like to, uh, to quote the last day that we were on the Camino. Most of my memories and pictures are just of Q and Lonnie. I didn't exactly accomplish anything, but I had a lot of fun. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that, oh no. I, I remember us sitting um, in Finisterre together on the edge of the seashore. We literally just yes. like, sat there. You know, going into the Camino, I literally like went because um, I heard about it and I read this book about it and I was like, so moved that I'm like I literally don't know why I need to go but I need to go I had this feeling that I need to go um I didn't I don't think during the Camino per se I got as like a lot out of it I mean it was like really incredible I had a lot of fun um and also a lot of uh depressing moments uh, <laughs> yes I have written down here um Q day two that's when you cried Oh, wow. What? It was already day two? Yeah. I remember day like 13 or 14, whatever day that was that we were in like our second to last day. I remember that day very clearly. And I'm very embarrassed about that. But I was also very depressed. Oh, no. Oh, also, I just wrote down Lonnie, apparently every day. That's my last <laughs> entry in the crying journal. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. I must have told you something, but you never saw me cry or something. You know, it was, I think the thing about the Camino is that it's a good, it was a good release though. Like, was it? I'm just joking, but yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, it wasn't really all that for me. I mean, it was like, it was a thing, but it wasn't a thing. Like I enjoyed it for what it was. And that's what it was to me for like, for like half of it. So you were present? Yes, I was present. I guess I don't really know how to explain it. I was like there and it was, that was like all of it. I was there. And I was like happy to be there. That's great. I had a totally different experience. <laughs> but I think it wasn't so much the Camino itself where I got the most out of it. It was reflecting on the things that happened afterward. Because I think that was a catalyst for a lot of things that happened afterward in my life for like the next few months. I, I think I got more out of it reflecting back on the experience. Because I think I had to look back on my state of mind at the moment. It may, basically, it forced things to the surface that were kind of like, underlying in how I was thinking and feeling and it came to head at the Camino physically too like my physical impediments which I was so I've never in my life I wrote this in my journal I remember hating the day like my body literally could not walk anymore and I had to take the taxi oh you were so angry <laughs> it was such a and it's, I felt like an attack on my ego it was very humbling yeah, exactly. It was humbling. And then it was also that I had I realized that I have some physical limitations and I kind of want, I didn't want to be in that state again where I couldn't walk. Um, so I was like, okay, I need to get more fit as well. So it was, all, it was like two duels, like the, the mental and the spiritual, but also like the physical realizing I have like a lot more to go. I don't I, I, I felt like I expected it to be more transformative than it was. It was just good that we were walking a lot. I think I slept better. <laughs> <laughs> But okay, that's also true. Those were really great sleeps, even though we got really like short sleep hours. Yeah, I, I usually like right after I finished the walk, it would be around like three and then I would just sleep for a couple of hours and then wake up later. That is like a Spanish tradition, right? Of siesta. Siesta, yes. And now, commercialism. What makes a great vacation? Gorgeous views on your beachfront balcony, calm waters to dip your toes, unlimited cocktails served to you in a shady cabana. When was the last time you really tried something new? 
For your next vacation, you can travel with Adventure. Adventure is now offering multiple locations across the globe for unforgettable travel experiences. On our Caribbean cruises, we offer rare intestinal parasites that may require weeks of hospitalization. In our globally acclaimed ski resorts, we will utterly transport you with massive avalanches capable of destroying everything in their paths. And, for a limited time only, get free transportation, personalized embassy tours, and a chartered flight home from any of our geopolitically unstable regions. Make memories that will last a lifetime, which will probably be very long, because you probably won't die, probably. Have an adventure. This has been Commercialism. I feel like there's been this like rush of like, let's get into nature. Um, and people want to do that and think that it's good for them somehow. But nature can be many things. And I think we all can get different things from it depending on what we need. So there shouldn't be like one goal or one thing that nature will do for you. My mom is very into the outdoors. Uh, she kind of just grew up roaming around in the forest. And it's, it's been like important to her for the rest of her life. It's kind of informed her worldview around like Taoism. And she still like spends most of her time out gardening and likes to go hiking and stuff. What about your dad? Is, is he like into outdoorsy stuff? He is not into outdoorsy stuff. He hates bugs. That's the main thing. Uh, the outside has bugs. Um, so he doesn't like the outside. But now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like their opinions on this are mostly informed by the location of their upbringing. My dad was raised in the city. My mom was raised in the countryside. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that would make a lot of sense because as you were saying that, I was thinking about that because I, I did grow up, I mean, I was born in a city. My family, like all city people um, in terms of my extended family. But I think it's because I grew up because like my family moved out of the city for a few reasons. One of them being that they wanted me to have like a different experience. Maybe I wouldn't feel that way about nature and like, I really love nature. I literally could sit outside for hours and just like sit there and stare at the sky if I, if I could. I don't think maybe I felt I would have that connection if I didn't grow up in, the, in a woods area in the mountainous environments um, with lots of animals like deer and bears and stuff. I mean, you could argue that if you didn't grow up there, you would kind of crave it. But I don't know. I did hmm. not grow up. I don't know. That's true. I mean, would you, because like, you know, a lot of people get turned off by the idea of the woods and I, maybe that's maybe because what you see on TV and stuff. I don't think necessarily from my experience, because my, all the rest of my family um, lives in like the city. I think it's just a lack of knowledge because you can like want something, but it, you are going to say no, if you don't know about it. That's what I meant to say. Because like, I don't necessarily like the city and it's not necessarily, it is not because well, it is because I don't like the city, but it's also because I didn't spend a lot of time in the city. And the more, I mean, I work in the city now and the more that I explore it and the more that I do stuff with like the friends that I make and the people that I work with, the more I'm like, oh, this is not, a, this is not it's not bad. It's, it's, I just didn't know, you know, I'm having a great time. I totally agree with that. I think because my heart is in both places, technically the city and the, in the country, because I, I long for both places because I have deep experiences in both places. 
it's maybe it's I think it's also like a fear factor maybe like people in the city I think a lot of people who grew up in the city do like to go to do things outdoors but maybe they don't view themselves intrinsically as like part of the outdoors whereas someone who like grew up in the countryside might just view that as like they are also just part of nature that's a good point too I grew up in the suburbs so does that idea like resonate with you at all Teddy like how you relate to the outdoors uh yeah I think that uh Lonnie hit a good point yeah like I don't see nature as something that's separate from who I am I'm most comfortable when I'm like in my garden or if I'm outside like I feel uncomfortable when I'm in the city because like I just it's like so man-made like I view myself as part of what is out there of what nature is so I guess that Mm. if you don't view it that way it could be highly uncomfortable Lonnie and I were had this conversation yesterday. I don't know. Yeah, so when I was living in China, um, I was living in Suzhou, um, which is really famous for these gardens. Like the old, rich Chinese families would just have enormous private gardens. The theory behind the Suzhou gardens is very different from like the conception of Western gardens. You know, Western gardens, they're designed to be like square and like well-groomed. But Suzhou gardens are designed, they're artificial, but they're built to look like they're made by nature so that you can have some, like, it looks wild. The paths are like twisting and turning around different trees. And that's not because there was a tree there and you needed to go around it like you would if you were walking through the woods. That is because someone designed this path (laughs) to make you feel like you were walking through the woods. (laughs) I kind of like that. (laughs) And the idea is that uh, Western gardens uh, want to control and dominate nature, whereas Sukucho gardens want to emphasize the point that you are a part of nature. Oh, but I want to know from Teddy, like, um, have you ever considered that in the gardens you make or how do you design your gardens? (laughs) Well, it's kind of haphazard. I haven't really thought too much about, like, symmetries like symmetry I just like because what ends up happening is I have a plan but then I grow too many things and so the plan goes out the window and so I just stick things where they go and not stick things where they go I just stick things where they have space and there's this thing called companion planting where like certain vegetables and certain plants are good for other plants and I try to stick to that I was thinking about the three sisters I was going to ask you about that what beans squash and corn yeah yeah like where you would you, is that something you intentionally do? So yeah, sometimes I'm intentional about things like that. Like marigolds go with peppers and uh, tomatoes, and onions are good for potatoes and stuff like that. So I try to do that. But other than that, it's really just <laughs> it's really just haphazard, and I just let you know nature take its course. So I guess it's more eastern minded than anything. I feel like your gardens mostly focus on like usefulness. Oh, onions gardens are aesthetic. Yeah. Hmm. I don't like, uh, I haven't liked growing like aesthetic plants, just plants for the purpose of just plants. I Why not? I, I don't know. I don't, I like finding use in everything. Not that everything doesn't have a use, but if I'm going to grow it, I'm not just going to look at it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't really grown that many flowers up until this year because I started gardening with my sister and we started planting a lot of flowers. So, so it sounds like then maybe you would lean more toward Eastern philosophy of gardening. That sounds like a thing. <laughs> um, um, in terms of like just kind of 
because you, you say that you try to plan things out and it doesn't end up that way, but is it maybe kind of like this a subconscious thing anyway, that you just taking, letting nature take its course and that's how, what you really believe? Yeah. I mean, I watched this documentary this other, the other day, but it was about these people who were starting this garden in California and they had these huge plants and they had like all these animals and stuff and they wanted to have like an orchard, but like they didn't have a lot of money. They had like a, like a thousand dollars. So they started this garden. And then everything for the first like five years, like died. They didn't make anything. They didn't make any um, produce. They didn't make any profit. And then they figured out that it was like simple things. Like it was like the birds were eating their fruit and like they had coyotes coming to eat their chickens and stuff, but they would just, (laughs) they decided to just do nothing, which kind of sounds weird order they let their animals out of their cages they like let the ducks run into the orchard and they just basically let nature take its course and within like seven years that was after the five years that they um had a field garden everything kind of like worked itself out and it wasn't due to anything that they really did like fertilizers or like trying to like kill the coyotes which they did kill some of them but it was like just letting nature commune commune with nature and not trying to control it by any ways that they really thought was helping, which was very interesting to me. That is an extremely Taoist concept, which would, of course, come from China of Wu Wei, mm. which is also the name of my cat. <laughs> 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 of, uh, more can be accomplished through inaction than through action, or you're doing action through inaction. Yeah, it was very cool because they had like these snails that would just like climb. It was like it was crazy. It was like tens of thousands of snails that were like demolishing their orchard. And they just let the ducks run through the orchard and the ducks just ate all the snails. And it was much better than them trying to like go out there and like kill the snails or like put like some kind of bug killing thing on their trees. They just let the ducks eat the snails. And then the ducks were pooping too much. So they had like this algae problem in their pond. But then um, they kind of let the coyotes eat some of the ducks. And so that kept the duck population down, even though the coyotes were eating their ducks, they still had like eggs from the ducks and still had meat from the ducks. And it was kind of just like a whole cycle. It was kind of cool. You know, it, I think it's, a, I think um, an interesting marrying between like the, that Taoist's view of gardening and nature and how we kind of view it or how it's treated in the Western world is something that actually happened recently, like going back into that, um, that like camping experience I had. And there was like, there was, like a bunch of black people there. One of the people um, on that, he deals with the animals. And so he was talking about how, when you talk about animal husbandry, um, a specific, he was talking in reference to like raising dogs on a, a property to protect the property and also to like, or whatever other purpose you might have to the dogs, right? For like yeah, other animals and things like that. Cause there's coyotes there. So that's like, that's what I mean like by protecting the property. <laughs> Um, but he was talking about how you have to really understand also like the nature of the animals when, when you're bringing them to the property. And so when he's talking about having different dog breeds, well, um, if you're going to have maybe a pit bull for protection of the property, then that probably shouldn't be the first dog you have. You should probably have, but they had a specific breed on the property that they wanted to be friendly and used to people because there's going to be people coming onto the property. Um, and they're still kind of protection dogs, but they need to come on first because of kind of like they're more, they will, otherwise they will listen to the pit bull. And the pit bull will take over if the pit bull was on the property first. And so he was just basically talking about when you talk, when you're dealing with animals, you have to think about the nature of them and how they interact with each other and that um, to be intentional at that. And that you can't really, he talked about like when he was on a garden, another time, a farm, another time there was, um, I think it was a great Dane or something. It was like a really 
big dog that's a attack dog basically and it went loose the the man i guess who makes sure that the dog is fine and stuff wasn't there and they couldn't get in contact with him so by the time he came there they ate he ate like 30 something sheep oh. and you the thing is though you couldn't he said you can't really get mad at the dog for doing what a dog that dog was raised to do <laughs> you know it's just that like and so that's that's like so when you talk about like interacting with animals i think maybe that goes back maybe to even some of the fear factor and how we try to like, control 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 in like like the idea of the western world where it, it really changed my mind to start thinking about okay like this is what the animal does that's the nature of the animal and that's how it thinks and so we can't get mad at an animal if it does x y and z especially if this is the environment that it's in um to be able to do what it does but so i was thinking maybe like maybe your thoughts about having almost like controlled in the sense of how you introduce animals to your property or, um, or how you interact with animals. I don't know. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that idea is. Any and ones. The, that sort of Taoist philosophy also applies to like Chinese medicine and how they treat human beings, right? Like as part of nature and you let it grow like the way that a tree should grow instead of like pruning it or like, you know, overly pruning a shrub so it looks a certain way. The statement I was saying, but did anyone have any thoughts on that, like in terms of like interacting with nature and how that might, um, maybe how think how that like thinking like that might affect how people, in, like is that maybe you agree with that? Is that the way we should be interacting with nature, especially on a garden or farm setting? I mean, like on a global international scale, it's already happening that we need to think about ourselves as part of the environment instead of uh, just the controllers of the environment because we've kind of wrecked a lot of stuff in our world, trying to control it. Yep. Everything, pretty much. Everything. Yeah. Nature involved. When we get involved and try to control it, it just goes downhill very fast. Um, I mean, not very fast. Everyone knows this. Our culture is that we want stuff and we want it now. So, like, you can get stuff and you can get it now by controlling it. At what expense? Yeah, yeah you can't do that forever. Like, nothing is forever giving like you, there's it has to empty itself unless it's sustained and uh we don't sustain things we just take so so it's not symbiotic basically yeah i think maybe that's the missing piece because a lot of people i was talking to lani about this actually how people were like you know what humans should just need to die <laughs> and let the and let the earth heal itself and i was talking to lani about that and i said i think that that view is actually also problematic because we are also part of the earth and we're taking ourselves out of the factor i think the issue is how we're approaching it and yeah. we're not making it symbiotic because i think if we all die we're also technically part of the ecosystem yeah. world ecosystem i mean so if we die something negatively will probably happen too yeah i think that's i think that's the missing piece and that's uh is a symbiotic thing but that's not that's that's something that needs to really happen on national and corporate levels mostly because those are the ones that are mostly doing that but we can also start with our everyday life with that have you heard that quote that's like the earth is not given to us by our ancestors but it's we're borrowing it from our children or something like that yeah yes mm. but also like i feel like the concept of should is also controlling we think the earth should be like a certain way or you know we should be doing this certain thing i think that's also very I don't like a Western human controlly type mindset. I agree you're saying what I think you're saying, but this is probably too controversial that, um, you know, the things that we've done to the earth have already happened. The earth has already been hotter than it is right now. And there's already been more death and more extinction than there is right now. So it's not our duty to return the earth to its previous state. 
I think a valid point, in my opinion. What would we, what is there to do then if it's not that? It's not about like, as far as like extinction goes, it's not like we should like try to keep all of these animals from going extinct. It's about not keep on keeping on, that's the wrong thing, but like sustaining the way that it is right now. It's about sustaining, I got, I guess, keeping better, but it's not like, how do we know what's best? Like, like who gives us that authority to say what's best? You know, that's, I mean, the thing is the earth, if in theory we left it alone, like entirely, the earth renews itself naturally. So maybe, are you talking about just go in the flow of, <laughs> like go in the flow of it? Like just let, kind of, it's like, I feel like if we had less agendas about what it should be like, we'd be able to listen more and learn more. And the earth would just tell us. We should listen to nature yes. and let it yeah. do the thing instead of us trying to tell it what to do. and Be reconnected. We're, we've lost our, well, as like a general thing, we've lost that, like, that connection to nature too. So like, we, you can't really listen to it without having that connection to begin with. That is true. Um, instead of uh, trying to stop uh, seas from rising maybe we can find ways to benefit from seas rising yeah something and try like to that. learn to exist with that there's a state park um i went to and they had like a huge fire in the park and it happened over a decade ago but they said they're not touching it they're just letting nature do its thing and so if you go there you'll just see like a lot of trees still like standing up there I guess for all intents and purposes, dead, but maybe they're not entirely dead. But, um, and they just sit, they just let Nate, like, like what I really like about this particular park is like, they don't touch anything. They just do like the bare minimum with the maintenance to make sure that like, I guess you can actually walk through the trails, but like, they don't even really mess with the trails. They're like kind of there, but if there's like a stump that fell over because of the fire, it's still there. That particular park was kind of a good example of kind of embracing where the environment is at now, moving with what it's doing. Yeah, that's a great example. Like, um, forest fires may look like a disaster to us, but they're necessary. And yep. the really disastrous forest fires are happening because... Uh, humans are stupid. Yes, humans are <laughs> stupid, A. And um, because it's an important part of the ecosystem and there haven't been enough forest fires. Yeah. Yeah. But then where is the line, though? Does that mean we have to we just probably just stop what we're doing right now? Because there are still things that are an issue right now. Like talking about the forest fires, like the Amazon forest fires that were created by businesses to burn the, 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 um, the Amazon rainforest. Because we're talking about letting it take its course, but how do we let it take its course in the current state of like the world we are now where things are being intentionally done to mess up nature? Then that's it. You stop the intentional harm, let the natural harm take, not natural harm, but the natural course of things takes place. Like we know that some fires are intentional. Those obviously are something that we should probably have a hand in saying, no, that should probably not happen. But other than that, like, just let it go. But I mean, um, unfortunately, the reason why uh, I can't really stand behind any of these ideas is because death and disaster and terrible suffering of human beings is a part of the natural course of things. And I can't support that. But naturally, as a human, you wouldn't. You would try to avoid that. So it's also a natural part of you. That's true. Oh, better. Even though it's going to happen <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I think it's just like acceptance, right? When it comes, we accept it. I feel like we should have some kind of disclaimer about um, our stance on global climate change. 
because we kind of oh, like yeah, uh, <laughs> oh implies yeah. that, implied that we want everyone <laughs> in the world to die a horrible death due to climate change but obviously that's not true so um please do your best to um recycle and not pollute and save water and um live sustainably we support that even though i say the things i say i still you know subscribe to a climate newsletter and listen to a climate podcast which are all about taking care of the earth and stuff so we're talking about taking care of the earth and that's what's very important to us it's taking care of the earth taking care of each other and that we all have something to contribute to bettering our environment mm-hmm.